Uh, my guest tonight is a very talented musician and comedian who has been seen on NBC's Last Comic Standing, The Howard Stern Show, and is currently working for the Bob and Tom Comedy Show. Please welcome to the check drop, Mr. Pat Godwin. What's Hello. up, Pat? Hi, Chuck. How are you, sir? I call you Chuckles all the time. Yes, you do. And me and about maybe 30 other people. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's fitting in the comedy business, I guess. You know, for a split second when I thought about starting, when I started Summit Comedy, that I was going to be like Chuckles. Like, just, and I was like, I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, you can't do it. That was a, that was a cutesy, cutesy email thing between you and I. Yeah, it's too cheesy. I, I uh, you know, I and plus, wasn't there like a Chuckles comedy or something in Florida? Well, I that think was... it's it's always the joke comedy club. Like I was working at Chuckles. I don't think there was an actual Chuckles. Yeah, but, but then there, can... yeah, then there's like there was giggles for a while. I don't know if the giggles. No, there was an actual giggles in Germantown outside of Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. Are they st- wasn't there a giggles base in Florida too? Like a chain? I think there was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I always kind of thought that was kind of a, a joke. And like, oh wait. They're serious. That's <laughs> there's a lot of bad names, and the owners of those clubs get very annoyed when you point them out. <laughs> well, let's run them down right now. <laughs> Side splitters, the loony bin. <laughs> but you don't. You go there, and then you befriend these people. You don't think about how terrible the name is. Right. The, 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 of mental illness, the loony bin. The funny, <laughs> the funny bones. The uh, uh, yeah. Like what yeah. hasn't been taken? I've thought about that before. Like what hasn't been taken? There's uh, well, you know, there was Sir laughs a lot, and uh, I think that was in Missouri. <laughs> I remember walk- getting that gig and going, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the whole concept, of, and I remember like you know, like when I left the Comedy Zone and started Summit. I mean, no no disrespect to the Comedy Zone or any other chain that has a you know a franchise name. Um, I always just thought like. You're not paying for the name. You're paying for the comedy. If you have good comedy, you can call it whatever the hell you want. So yeah. that's it's simple as that. So I thought that it was a, a unique, um, you know, I guess something like the, you know, the improv has a little bit more weight to the name and such than most. But even that, if you you can still bring shit acts to the, the improv and does, and people will have a bad taste in the mouth for comedy. So, you know, I had the whole concept of just that. Like, it doesn't matter. Just bring good I, comics and you can call it you know, the Stardome Comedy Club or, or whatever. I remember uh, Lisa Lampanelli went on The Tonight Show and she was telling Jay where she was working and she said she was at Side Splitters in Tampa and just Jay, you know, he, he could, he, he really, is that gonna, and uh, Bobby Jewell, the owner, was not happy. I remember <laughs> he, he, him showing me the clip and being mad and I thought, well, boy, he takes he takes pride in, in the name of the club. And, yeah. But it was just Jay, yeah, just kind of goofing around. Well, you would think a comedy club owner too would would have a sense of humor. Yeah, and he really does. It's just not about the product itself, the name of his club. Everything don't, else he has. A don't make fun of my name. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> but, I don't think. And I'd... Lisa joined in, and I remember that Bobby was none too happy that she was playing along, and her job is to play along. You know, yeah, it's she's doing improv basically. It's yes and. It's not no. You're wrong. You know. Yeah. Well, I guess the you know hindsight. You know, maybe you shouldn't have named that. You, I think you knew, like, again, why I didn't name uh, Chuckles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just knew that that's going to open up a, you know, a pile of uh, jokes on the back end. So Right, 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 right. So, right. The so comedy how- zone where we started, that was, you know, take off on the Twilight Zone. And I just, you know, was, that was pretty, pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So, um, and that's where we met. So, for people that are watching that, uh, that don't know the history of me and Pat Godwin, I started uh, in the comedy business fresh after uh, college. And um, I remember, uh, weren't you, so let me think about this. Weren't you uh, managed by the comedies or creative entertainment um, briefly? Yeah. Yeah, and right, be- right before that, uh, Roger Paul and Tom Haynes were talking. Hey, we're doing this Final Four thing, 1994, downtown, where they built a comedy zone. Uh, Joel Pace was behind the bar. Brian Heffron was behind the You know, those guys were just starting off with the comedy zone also. And they had me do these marathon things from 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Or maybe we started at 1 till 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, where people just walked in and, in and out. And they hired me just to do comedy and I just basically stood up there and just, you know, it was like behind the chicken wire, you know. And uh, those guys saw saw me like kind of handless, but I had no act. I just started to improvise and goof around. Roger Paul just and Tom Haynes called me up and said, hey, can, can, would you do this? 
And you know, when you get offered a job, you just say yes, and then you figure out how to do it later. Right. So sometimes. You know. So how did you get that job? You just said you didn't have an act. Were you not a regular stand-up comedian at the time? No, I wasn't. I was actually on a radio show, WMMR in Philadelphia, and we'd all gotten fired. We all got fired. And uh, I was, she's uh, go, going through a divorce, because that's what I always do every couple of years. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it was- To keep the material way. fresh, right? But I was doing Fridays and Saturdays. But what I would do is I honestly just had songs from the radio. I had no segues. And uh, I wasn't improvising at that time. I was working hard as a morning radio guy, pumping out original songs and parody songs. But I, I worked on the weekend, and people just were so much, they were fans of the show. They would just yell stuff out in the show, and I would sing it. When I, we got fired, I was forced by necessity to go out and make a living and actually learn how to do it. And the Comedy Zone is the only reason why I was able, I was offered that opportunity. I stood up there, I improvised, I goofed around, and that I goofed around and I made people laugh. And, and Joel and those guys and Brian, we call him half obviously, uh, and Brad, Brad at that time, the guy in charge, Brad Greenberg, they said, hey, offer this guy the book. Because we had other comedians that Brad would just go on that. We had like round the clock acts. But I ended up like being the only one at the end. Now, I'm not going to mention the names of other people that are working there. Uh, but, you know, really, uh, Carrot Top will come in and hang out. He didn't have to perform in that environment. It was rough. I mean, it was the final four, downtown Charlotte, 1994. My first, gig, my first road gig. And they opened the opened up the book to me, and you remember how much work there was back. Yeah, I, but it I'm just I'm just trying to remember like who made that first call. Was it Tom or was it Brad that said, "Hey, you know what? We think that you can pull Tom, off some Tom comedy." Tom called Roger Paul, and then uh, uh, and then Roger sent me down, and then Tom and I just became instant instant buddies, and then Brad ended up uh, managing me, and uh, Carrot Top left shortly thereafter, and so did Rodney. I think so. It was a bit of a it was an awkward time. Yeah, so at the time, I believe they were managing uh, Rodney Carrington, of course. Rodney Carrington, yeah. Pat Godwin, and um, Carrot Top. Godwin was managed by them for a while, too, I think. Oh, really? I did not yeah. know that. Um, I, so, yeah. I want to say there was a Charlotte comedian. I can't think of the name off the top of my Kevin head. Hughes? Kevin Hughes. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think they were managing like that small handful, which, you know, I mean, obviously, this is pretty Well, I was offered all the work in the world, and it meant a lot to me because then uh, Yankee from Philadelphia – went down into the Southern one-nighters. You know, they, you know, those shows could have been anywhere sometimes and also really good places most of the time. Right. So you got, you got every aspect of that education. You're at that Jacksonville room that set up, set up great. Then you're, you know, God knows where on a Monday. Well, at some country bar. And I remember making fun of the Southern accent. Somebody said their name was uh, uh, Sharon. She's Sharon. And I remember going Sharon and thinking that was funny to me. Lost the whole crowd. <laughs> they hated me. And I went, what did I do wrong? Oh, Play to the room. <laughs> that's what I did wrong. I'm a snotty Yankee making fun of a Southern accent. And the next day I didn't do that. Joel so Pace said fire, they fired everybody but Pat. That's what it says. <laughs> I, I, well, I think Carrot Top left. I, <laughs> I think his star, he, he had a little uh, rocket ship kind of boosting his well career. he was on fire I yeah mean, he was killing those colleges and you you know how lucrative that can be at right. that level that he was at at that time yeah. uh yeah he ended up leaving and it was just i remember it really rocked everybody's boat you know well, yeah that's why I, that's why i started summit comedy because i was the last one hired before uh that fella uh took oh so off. you were kind of in the same you were in the same situation that i was you were a newbie oh uh, on an yeah. established ship that was starting to go to the left a little right bit. well if you said that was 94 um i started in um august wait july or august of uh 95 so i graduated oh, wow. so, yeah. I, I graduated may uh from college um that year in 95 so literally i just remember like meeting you in the hallway and then yeah. and then they're like hey here's the guy that we need to you need to start booking for colleges because that's why they had booked me because like hey this kid's fresh out of college like uh he can book uh carrot top into some colleges and now he knows these college kids, and that's yeah, literally how I—that's how I got started. Which is kind of smart on there. On, oh, you uh, weren't Brad... booking any features or MCs or something. No, at that college guy. At that so time, we... was strict, strictly uh, colleges. Uh, when oh, I, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, for a year and a half, um, and then um, once Scott left, we, they did some shuffling because Tom Haynes left. You remember? And then, oh, yeah. then uh, 
uh, Hef started booking all the headliners, and that's yeah. when I started booking all the features. So yeah, I, was, I think Jeff Chester was doing the features at that right. time. Of course, so, yeah. middle, we call them middle acts. Back yeah. the so East. it was yeah. just a progressive scenario. Like, you know, everybody kept either leaving or whatever. And then move, I kept moving up the ranks, you know. It was an ambitious place. I mean, there were a lot of people that worked there. Yeah, it was. You, know, you had your accounting. You had, you know, you had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it was. A, it was a, I mean, I learned a lot about this business. And I learned a lot not what to do when I worked there, too. But uh, that's a whole different story. But, like, I did. I was very grateful for the the the, the lessons learned and, and that propelled me into i was 26 years old when i started summit so i was like all right let's do it so well, it's funny when people uh, say you know when i tell when people say oh you work for the comedy zone do you know uh do you actually know chuck johnson yeah i know chuck john you talked to half yes i talked to half like even now yeah they say that? i haven't talked to, honestly i haven't talked to him in a while only because uh my life with radio and all this has changed i haven't been down in charlotte in, in a long time you know it's yeah, been, it's been a while. Well, let's you segue know. into that. So, uh, so you're you're one of the lucky people that uh, you have a job uh, being a comedian, but um, also during the, the COVID COVID year of 2020 uh, that you are working on a regular basis. But it's in radio, correct? Yeah, I'm on Bob and Tom uh, full time. That started two years ago, and that was a gradual process. Um, after Bob retired, um, Josh Arnold came on board a- as a full time member. And Tom was just starting to have me on a lot, and uh, we were uh, we were writing together. I would bring all these things to the table. He would edit them, and I wasn't really used to working with anybody uh, like that. But it really was a, a pretty cool relationship uh, creatively. So uh, you know, he said, "Hey, why don't you come in tomorrow?" In the beginning, it was like seven to nine, and he would like you know uh, he'd make sure that uh, you know maybe he'd throw me a couple bucks as a friend. I go, "Oh, you don't need to do that." And I didn't realize what was happening. I was about to be, and then, then Tom said, hey, uh, why don't you come in from six to 10? And even at that moment, I didn't really know what was going on because I still had outside gigs. Right. It, just sort of, it just sort of happened, you know? Well, uh, most uh, comedians, they, they get asked to be on there and such. They're just, they're not looking for compensation. They're just looking like, hey, this is just a plug to help me plug uh, wherever I'm going uh, next week or whatever and such. So, um, so that was obviously... Oh, there. well, it was the Tonight Show for... Uh, comedians for a long long time and still can be we don't have live guests on it's just the nuclear it's just the nucleus i mean okay. uh, of the group that's allowed in the studio we will have like uh, uh your roy roy wood of course uh on uh, and do do a zoom thing jimmy pardo kostaki of course our buddy economy that's hard to yeah say. he he was on the podcast a few weeks ago yeah he's on uh, with us every tuesday he'll be on tomorrow and you know it's that's the, that so we're all really rising to the occasion. I've always been a fan of the show and the fact that they did interesting music to me, like Haywood Banks and Henry Phillips, uh, Tim Cavanaugh. These guys were doing creative things based on the show, original ideas, and it just was better than uh, the normal road kind of musical comedy. It really had some substance to it. So I always uh, loved being on the show, and I've been on like six or seven of their best of albums with things that I was really proud of, like. Say La Vie and Legend of John Fox and yeah. really different kind of things uh, as opposed to the normal, you know, musical comedy fair that, you, that, that, that the road is and can be sometimes, you know. Did you get your uh, full-time job with them uh, pre-COVID or just was it just... Oh, it was pre-COVID. It was like okay. two years ago, yeah. It was okay. just this last March that everything got shut down. I was home for a month and, and Zooming from the house with the delay, which was just so difficult people uh, tom was really worried about we didn't know what was going on i mean it was just coming at us from all directions right. people in our circle you know people that we knew getting sick and so um because my uh, my ex my, my son's mom is a nurse they thought oh boy let's just keep him home for a while then now i came back in and um i'm like in a, a separate room right behind the main studio I'm, i see them all i'm behind the glass christy lee who's our news person is to the right of me behind the glass and then tom's in there chicken and josh but they're all like eight feet apart yeah i used to listen to the show when it was in charlotte yeah um, 1065 there yeah yeah, and then it just disappeared one day and (laughs) well that's the way syndicated radio is and things change we're in a lot of markets right now but you do hear the about you had you would have a fan base like in charlotte from that show and then it you know up and disappeared you know I, i i yeah they were there for but they were there for a while yeah, and we get so many transplants too. Uh, I got a new guy in my golf league that just came down, from, uh, just moved in from Iowa, and and he's like, "Oh man, I love Bob and Tom." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah we used to get it here, and 
no longer. So, so if you ask like people from the South, they probably don't know who the hell they are. Right? So, but I know it's definitely a Midwest. Well, they're, in a lot of, they're in a lot of, a lot of Southern markets. It's just, you know, you can go into a West Virginia uh, area and oh, it, it's huge. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it, it, it's like John Boy and Billy, obviously. Uh, yeah. That's a, a they've, South. they've had this market and like yeah. cornered for as long as I've been listening to the radio and I don't yeah. listen to the radio anymore. So, they were instrumental in kind of uh, helping me with the comedy zone too, because I had two or three bit bits that I knew worked for radio. Because I really I had done Howard Stern and done songs for that show before the the nineteen and around the nineteen ninety four stuff. In fact, the next five years, come to think of it. So when they allowed me in their studio and we had some fun, that really helped uh, the Charlotte market. That was a that was a good time. Those guys were. I mean, Billy West and all they're 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 nuts. They have yeah. a good time. Yeah, I um I used to take the comedians, and I'm sure you know yeah. what I remember taking you to a radio one time, and I I vividly remember we were going to it was I think it was ninety five one, and I, I just get out of the car, you know, it's six in the morning, and I'm tired, you're tired, and I get halfway across the parking lot, and you're standing in the back of my car, and you're like, hello, he chuckles, because I need my act. You get. <laughs> So if you're just tuning in or just watching whatever, uh, Pat Godwin has a good, he's a guitar act. So <laughs> like, uh, like, can you, like, can you do it? Like how much time could you do without a guitar? Cause I know you do some stand up a little bit. Um, well, without- there's enormous amounts of time now where I talk and I talk and I talk, but the truth is that I kind of all lead it towards a musical moment. It, it can be a crutch at times. It can also be, uh, you know, in thrilling, that this guy was just talking about this stuff with maybe an audience member, then boom, this, this song appears. Sometimes these songs are, ma- are magic. In other words, I have a, a way I know, like the Springsteen bit, I know what I'm doing. I've done it a lot. And I just can, ins- you know, you know what I mean? It's all, it can be a magic trick, but then a lot of times, it, you know, these things lead to things that I've written and it works out great. So uh, I do, I, I've had to do a lot of stuff without the guitar and uh, it's a little, it's, it's a, it, it throws me a little bit right in the beginning. And then I'm kind of okay. Because I'm not used to like, you know, if you see Dennis Miller do stand-up, he clutches the, the mic stand. But the, what else, what's coming out of his mouth is really good. Yeah. I would watch some tapes of me without the guitar. And it's obvious when I first started doing it, I don't know what to do with my hands. So I had to kind of learn, <laughs> learn, because I've always had this thing on and I kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Do yeah. you, um, obviously being a musician, do you... Like, where do you see yourself now? Do you lean more towards the comedy side, like when you're writing uh, material, or do you still ever just write real music, real music? You know, the real music is easier if I'm sitting around. Uh, that's what that's what if before the Bob and Tom show, that's what would come out first. Now I have these moments, and I go, "Hey, I have to have four things to, for tomorrow. I don't need you right now. When I have to write serious songs again, or uh, I will get to that." Okay. But right now, so those things come to me a lot easier. And uh, my favorite one uh, is called uh, When Did We Get Old that we're going to end up recording. It's kind of a a piano thing. And it's really cute and kind of, you know, it's about this guy who, where did his life go? He's taking his daughter to the ballet class now. And that was a serious one that we're going to record in the studio that just came. That actually was, I wrote a year ago and just finished up a little bit ago. Those are easier to do than the comedy ones. Much easier. Do you uh, do you have any albums that you've done just of serious music? Yeah, I have an album called Excess and Moderation from 1993. Okay. All right, see, um, that was pre pre Chuckles. So yeah, well, I you know what I think being on the Morning Zoo, I was a little embarrassed about it because uh, I didn't get as much of the original things as I wanted. I had I had a kind of a, a guy in charge who would go, "Hey, why don't you?" He would just hear he'd hear end of end of the Innocence by Don Henley. And once you do something to that, he would just like force the, and I go, oh yeah, what do I do? End of the impetus. Perfect. And I go, oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> so I think that I, I, I really, I really enjoy the fact that the Bob and Tom guys allow me, you know, to kind of uh, be myself. And if there's a parody that on a topical thing, we do it, but we really, you know, we, it's a well-balanced diet, you know? Yeah. Well, well, I assume because I play guitar as well too, so I've always kind of gravitated towards musical uh, guitar acts, good ones. I mean, there's a lot. There's, I've seen some shit ones over the years, but you oh, were definitely. I had, a, I had them open up for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the Booker will make that mistake, and I, you know, and I say, no, 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 do your thing. And, oh, they told me I can't play the guitar, and I said, no, you can play it. You know, it doesn't matter as a headliner. I, I'm, you know, whatever you're gonna do, don't worry about it. I've had that happen a lot. 
Yeah, I think I I think I might have done that once in my career, and I learned like, oh, you're not supposed to book two guitar acts on the same, or, or that's like having two ventriloquists or, or yeah, <laughs> whatever. Well, yeah. You gotta, it's just different. Like you, you learn these over the years of like being in a comedy uh, world, and and like th- there's a there's there's a A plus B equals C scenario, and and two I, guitar acts is not part of the equation. <laughs> I had someone who would close who who, who I uh, they, they they show up. And this is in Jacksonville. I'm not going to mention the name, but the person was saying, "Hey, I close to these tapes that you know I sing along with, and it's very powerful." And I was told that I, I can't do that in front of you because it's just too powerful. <laughs> I remember going, "No, please, <laughs> no, please close the door is open. <laughs> you are allowed." No, I'm going to get in trouble. I said, "You're not going to get in trouble." <laughs> oh man. So, like, so obviously, so your career has changed so much then. So, I mean, even if you're back, like, so, say, 94, you, you became a comedian, a musical comedian. Yeah, I was uh, fired by WMMR, The Morning Zoo. Or Stern, you have to understand. Because, you, yeah, you were, so you were from Her, Howard Stern at one time. Well, Philadelphia, well, I was on a show for six years in Philadelphia, and we were number one. We were Stern's first syndicated market, and it took him two or three years to then become number one. And then he did funeral parties for our lead guy, John DeBella. It was just 20,000 people would show up outside our studios. It was just a very insane rivalry, you know? And what city was that, Philly? That you was said? Philadelphia, yeah. yeah it okay. was Howard Stern's first syndicated market. And then when we became number two, you're still, you can, you can bill at a high rate. You're still a successful station with a successful morning show. But our uh, WMMR went nuts. And uh, we all got fired, and they kept John DeBella. He did a thing called Sports Rock. And then I was just, uh, whoa, I had nothing. And I wasn't exactly a guy who knew how to save. I bought tons of guitars and pianos and, you know, all kinds. It just, I wasn't thinking that it ever would end. And when right. it did, that's when I started to do Stern. And then you're, you guys down in, uh, in Charlotte. In the you just... Zone. You just defined every comedian um, on March 10th of this year. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not going to end. These are the best thing. Cruise ships are my life. Nothing's you know, going to take away I, cruise ships. Before Bob and Tom, I did two and a half, three years on the cruise ships after uh, my divorce. It was hard being away from Jimmy. He was only three, four at the time. He's now 10. And it was, I couldn't believe how lucrative it was. And all my friends were just, you know, they had homes and they had motorcycles <laughs> what are these things you call assets <laughs> and they had money in the bank and they were helping me and i worked with for Royal caribbean and princess and but i tell you it was hard because when you're going through divorce and you're seeing such beautiful things and you're performing in theaters and clubs on Royal Caribbean, you know it's just weird to be doing that well and just being so miserable you yeah. know i remember flying back geez i'd fly back from rome or wherever all over the world and I pick up Jimmy and uh, Jimmy and Avery, uh, his older sister, who I adopted, and we'd be able to hang out for three, four days. Then, man, I was on four flights, you know, meeting a ship in Belize or something. You know, these people have no idea how really hard it is. Uh, for, and they, they enjoy the money, but it's very difficult work. Right. I mean, and now uh, they're really just swinging in the wind. These poor people. Yeah, I. Um, and that industry, I don't know how that industry is going to come back. It's, a, I mean, quickly, it's going to come back, but. Wow. Well, I, I don't see a comeback anytime soon. I mean, I, they will be obviously quickly once the vaccine comes out. Uh, I know that they're doing some trial um, yeah. um, cruises with asking oh. free, for free guests to come on. And like, so they can kind of go move through the COVID measures and safety. Well, you know, I've heard that there's some of them are still having to move around for technical reasons. Because imagine just a gorgeous, you know, a billion dollar ship just sitting in water. I think things got to move around a little bit. I don't know how those people yeah. are saying this. You've never seen people work harder in your life. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of uh, the employees, like at least on the entertainment side, like the booking side, have been furloughed. So, um, yeah, because they're not their job is to either book the talent or you know get the comedians from two from point A to point B, and they're not doing that right now. So, and the people a lot on of, Carnival, I don't know. I don't imagine there's a harder working bunch of, of comedians than. I mean, you know, you, 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 did, you did a lot of shows, you know, there are a couple of ships on Royal Caribbean where you also did a lot of shows, but there were other ones where you didn't do so many shows, but the people on Carnival, man, they were the worker bees of the industry. 
Yeah, isn't it funny? Like with those cruise ships, that uh, the the more you get got paid, the, the for the bigger brands, uh, the less shows you get. <laughs> Whereas Absolutely. the carnival, you're doing like you're shelling out like in between seven and nine shows for a week, and and they pay the the least amount uh, of, of the cruise ship market. So and it still was it still was good, and you know you got little bumps here and there, and there's yep. management that came in and out. Friends of mine would come in and out. It was and it was very uh, it was very challenging. You know? Yeah, and the and the staff, the the everybody that's gone through that the whole booking. I mean, I've seen a, a lot of uh, not a lot of turnover, but I've seen the turnover over the years. And and every person like there's there's some like people that they're, they're like friends of mine that like that I've done so much business with and such. And because um, I didn't get into the cruise ship market until about I don't know six seven years ago. Um, oh, I I didn't I just never opened up that that arm I guess at, like as far as because because it is very hard to get in. Because if you yeah. don't know those people, it's kind of it's hard. So uh, it takes so. a certain really tough person, which I am not, that can really do that. Because on uh, Carnival, there are tinier rooms, and even a room with a window, it still is really, really rough and lonely. And you know, you're not really allowed to fraternize. And then you know, some people just slip up, and you know, you you'd be getting off a ship at six o'clock and see. I saw a cruise director be, being let off because he was canoodling in the disco with a woman one night and he was the cruise director. There are, there are a lot of very strict rules on there and you know, people get lonely out there and it's like they would get fired constantly. And then maybe some of them had come back. It was hard work. Billy D. Washington says carnival does not pay the least amount. So I'd be curious to know who, who does. So yeah, you don't have to put it out there, Billy, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. And I just do feel bad. Carnival actually pays pretty good. I do feel bad for all everybody out there. I mean, yeah. obviously, this is our industry, this is our lifeline, and you know, <laughs> rising uh, tides raise all ships, <laughs> proverbial was, and literally. <laughs> so, it, it, uh, some of my friends are also coming to me and telling me what they're really doing. You know, certain people are doing construction. They're friends of mine, and I was telling you, uh, I got a buddy that moved back in with his ex-wife, and uh, they're sort of freshly divorced too, going through a divorce and stuff, and. Uh, he, he's 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 back in there uh, with her. They they lead sort of separate lives. But I thought, man, that's that's what it's come down to. That is a very nice woman that allows them yes. back. She in. is a nice woman. Yeah, yeah. I assume he's like a, they have, he's a good you, guy too. you say they have kids. No, they don't have kids. No. Oh, that's even that's even more of a nicer woman because I I could understand it more so if there was kids. Like I, right, at least you can you know have the family unit even. Well, I'll tell you what, my ex-wife wouldn't let me move back in with her. So no. you, ha- you have a lot of ex-wives, don't you? No, no, I only have two. I just, you know, oh. it's good for comedy to just come you off like two. a big old loser. I, I always, like, in my mind, you had, like, like three all named Kim. Oh, there were, there were five all named Kim. The first person who I had relations with in high school was a Kim. And I only really had one other relationship with a woman who wasn't Kim, and that was Anne back in Philadelphia. I married two Kims. And uh, I even got a Kim tattoo. Uh, you remember Miami Kim? I don't. I, I can't give up. Well, you and I went out to uh, yeah, yeah. Always be at the comedy club, and you yeah. would go to a diner afterwards. You had uh, late night din- dinner di- dinners with us after many shows. Right. She would yeah. travel with me for a while. Her name was Kim. So I get Kim tattooed on my arm because she got Patrick on her ankle. I'm like, I don't even like tattoos, but I had to do it. So I got like cursive Kim on my shoulder, we broke up. And so I covered that up. And then I met Jimmy's mom, whose name is Kim. I could have just left it there. <laughs> Does it say somewhere in your, like your, uh, your online uh, profile, like only dates Kim's or something? No. You know, I, I get, are you meeting these people? I either, I have deep psychological problems or yes. Uh, somebody, yes. somebody said to me, he's very, he, He's dated more Kims than a Chinese phone book. So, <laughs> my brain already went to the to the Asian joke, but yeah, I didn't want to throw it that, out. It's, no, it's always said on. It's always said on Bob and Tom. Uh, we're not being racist about it. It's just uh, for some reason. It, it, for some reason, it's true. I don't know how it's happened. And you know, the, the only two people I dated after my divorce for a while were also two Kims. So maybe I need to sit Jesus. on the couch. Yeah, sit on like the couch somewhere. I think you just need to know the next time somebody comes around and say, is your name Kim? She says, yes, turn around and walk away. 
Well, it's never been the Kim's fault. It's always been my fault. So I don't believe uh, it. Well, the there we go. That, you know, for, seriously. Time to look within. <laughs> yeah. I don't. If someone were named Kim right now, who I fancied, I would not. It wouldn't be her name or her that's the problem. <laughs> Got it. Well, it sounds like you need some uh, self-reflecting on <laughs> Well, I've had plenty of self-reflecting. <laughs> so, uh, so have you done? Uh, so, have you done any live shows uh, this year? Uh, I just did one uh, on Saturday in Anderson, Indiana. My first time back was outdoors in uh, in August, and um, I had to look at the game film. I was I was nervous yeah. three days before, because uh, I remember one time when I first started out, I had a shoulder injury that. And I couldn't really hold the guitar for a month. They were about to do surgery. They didn't. I only had one month off. I was living in Miami. And I went to do a, a show in Sanibel, Florida. And I didn't think that I'd been on the, uh, the road forever. You know, and I was, I thought, and the first time I got up on stage after a month off, I forgot everything. And it terrified me. <laughs> so the next day, I spent the whole day looking at old videos. So this time I was prepared. A week before, I'm listening to live albums. Uh, anything I can find just to get all the segues. I tried things and I went, oh, God, it's not there. But but we're caring about the product than driving down to that. It was in Sullivan, Indiana, and I was terrified. I hadn't been on stage since March. And I'm a kind of a guy who always liked being on stage a lot because you, 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 don't, you don't seem to lose your fastball at all when you're on stage a lot. And I got down in, in Sullivan and it all came back, things that they were even yelling out. I, I went, all right, and it was there. <laughs> I'm like, it's only because like I thought about it a lot, you know, was it I really was it, concerned. Was it a uh, venue that was uh, like half capacity or, or did they not care or like how does it was, it was, it was half capacity. Yeah. It was like a benefit thing. And, uh, and, uh, but I mean, uh, the, it was everything that was allowed, uh, which still was just spotty. Allowed that week. Right. It changes. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it literally changes I, every, I, every day. I just did a show in Illinois where I get there and the owner goes, hey, uh, Illinois is only allowing 25 people to show. I'm like, all right. So if you wouldn't mind coming down on the money a little bit, and I'm like, oh, boy. That <laughs> would have been go. nice to know before I drove there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've I've got, gotten a lot of that myself where, like, it's bananas. I mean, I just booked a show last week for February, and it was in Montana. And then they just came back two days later and pissed off saying that they couldn't do it now or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, all right, I'm not, I, I'm used to it now. It's like, it's, it's like three steps forward, 18 steps backwards. So. No, I've had a lot of that. I mean, people will just go, when you get the email, Hey, what do you think if things are changing here in this state, why don't we postpone it? And to be honest with you, everybody's always worked with me in the past. And I think comedians should work with any situation, you got to go, yeah, if you think you know your business better than I do, then we should postpone that, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. You just got to give them, if they're asking you that, that's obviously they booked this, but that's kind of their feeling. Right. And then you're like, "Ah, I'll talk to you a week out and we'll see how this goes. (laughs) See if you're still on the same page. Yeah. I've had things cancel uh, a week of, and it's no one's fault. It's just the way it is. I had a show, get this. I had a show last week, two weeks ago. It was a virtual show, and they canceled the virtual show. I was like, "How do you cancel a virtual show?" <laughs> they well, they only said that it was at a college, and they said only two people had signed up. I was like, "That sounds like a you problem, not a me problem." <laughs> I was like, hey, I, was like I, "I was like, if that comedian had flown to that place to try to perform live, and two people showed up, you would have handed them a check and said, "I'm sorry," and let them walk away." Um, but yeah, this, so yeah, I've had actually two virtual shows canceled. One was, uh, there was a, a hurricane in Texas and I, and I let them off the hook, but this By other the one, way, I, you and I have the best story. Whenever comedians tell their stories of, Hey, I did a show for nine people. <laughs> you and I just kind of go, well, let me tell you a story. Hey, that's going to be the closer. I'm going to, I'm going to let you close oh, out you, with oh, that. That's, that, that that's the check drop story. I'm going to let mean, you close. <laughs> to this day, I just let them talk. Oh, <laughs> Was it only three people? <laughs> I can't wait. I, if you're watching or listening, it's the it's gonna be the build up. Uh, Pat's Pat and I have a really good story, and no I one lo- beat, no one can even come close to this. Story. Yeah, like the hell gig story can't and beat the story. <laughs> well, okay, that's deep, but well, yeah, it's no, I, it's a it's COVID a pretty comedy. I mean, it's a pretty good story, and like, and I I always tell it wrong. I think so. It's it's always best to hear it from the comedian. Well, you got the frantic phone call from me, so. <laughs> Well, I get a lot of those. 
Oh, I, I could never do what you're doing. Yeah, I don't know how I'm not jaded yet. Because everybody says, you know, after like 10 years, you're going to be jaded and you're not going to want to do this anymore. And I actually still like my job, which is, you know, I mean, I've been doing this 25 years, you know, I mean, three years with the Comedy Zone and uh, and 22, almost 22 and a half uh, for Summit. And yeah. Well, uh, you know, on your end, I have, you know, uh, as an adult married, Jimmy, I think, is, 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 is two or three at the time. And I'm driving to Hilton Head to work for my buddy John John Biddle down there, and my uh, the whole rim on my Pathfinder just explodes, and you know, and I bear I had money to get there, <laughs> and now I've got the situation, and John Biddle somehow called Ron Shock, who's uh, the late great Ron Shock, whose wife had an Amex card, and they 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 were able to, I think it was eleven hundred dollars to fix this this horrible the, the axle and wheel that exploded. And I got there on, like, it was just out of a movie with 20 minutes to spare. And because and, John said he would go, you know, with, out of the money I was getting, you know, he would he would make it all. And we made it happen somehow. But imagine getting that phone call, which you've got many times, probably. <laughs> hey, my, I've gotten it, so many of them. Uh, like, like, I've from like, hey, your comedian just threw a, threw a, uh, a TV out the window. They're, those are fun, uh, <laughs> too. <laughs> you know, drugs, drugs and alcohol in excess are bad. So uh, well, being on the road and lonely and all that, all that stupidity. I, I remember walking into a, a, a guy that had a house for the comic club and it was like, uh, no TV. There's no TV here. Well, uh, we had a we had a thing last week. We're getting a TV. And I thought, well, he's not telling me. I, you, you poke around, then you find out the real story. Yeah. Don't you look. He was mad and stole the TV. You see on the marquee from uh, last week who was there and like, all right. Oh, all right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah, who was here last TV? week? Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The comedy condos. I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, I'm, I've never been in. Like, I've been in a couple, I guess, per se, but I've never stayed in. I've visited some, like, to visit a comedian. But, yeah, I can't imagine the shit stories that you guys and the horror stories of, like, just the shittiest places that you, they've been put up. What, what, the, what's your the, worst, uh, like, comedy condo or shittiest hotel story that you have? Oh, I'll get in trouble. Because I, no, you won't. You don't have to tell who. <laughs> <laughs> this is well, what these interviews are for, Pat. Well, the, you know, I, the people want to know. <laughs> this isn't the this isn't the this isn't the crappiest one of all time by any means. But I do remember um, working for the Comedy Zone in their first their first condo. Um, they um, I was going to do radio on Tuesday, so they had me come in early in the Monday. But Monday was a specific night at the club. And uh, I said, okay, well, I guess still stay anywhere. Yeah. And I think that everybody's real nice. They didn't want me paying for a hotel or they, they said, well, yeah, you'll, we'll find someplace for you. And, I, and I'm fine. I was fine with that. I was a newbie and I was, you know, it was just kind of, kind of exciting until I actually got to the condo. I had a long drive from Philly. It was like packed with people. And I had radio the next morning. I remember going, oh my God, I, what have I got myself? And they wouldn't even let me in because I, I, they, the guy who answered the door wasn't, aware of what was going on and i'm like oh my god were they comedians or just happened to oh, be staying there comedians and hanger-ons and hanger on i think we ended up having a call of uh, joel to figure out how to get into the apartment yeah i remember those uh I, I well i don't know if it's the same one but i remember the condo that was it was literally right across the street from east mech high school which i had gone there so uh oh, the I know one exactly. in Charlotte? Yeah, originally, uh, and then they kind of then they moved over to a hotel down the down the road on Independence. You know, there's a great club in Nashville. Uh, you're well aware of it, Zanies. But in the early yes. days of Zanies, did you ever hear about this? They, no. It was uh, the bartender lived upstairs, and uh, there were like the cook would be on the on the couch, and the, it was when Lenny uh, uh, kind of ran it, and it was legendarily bad and scary. And I won't mention the nutty things that went on there because it's some of them are highly illegal and <laughs> and it was you know it was kind of sh it was sort of scary for a while there and then uh, buddies of mine took it over and they quickly they had that system in place for a while but then they got rid of that house and uh, made it a much better situation but i remember that being a really rough one that a lot of people you know still talk about i mean it was if you talk to jimmy schubert or any of the guys that would do zanies back at that time there was that house was sort of scary yeah, I, uh, I, I can't. Again, I can't imagine. You know, just I'm kind of a clean guy, anyways. Though, so I can't imagine going into another condo that you know 
I, like again, you know, like in the fridge, like you always hear the horror stories, like don't ever, don't ever touch the mayonnaise. All true. <laughs> you know, you honestly had, let your mind of, wander people. <laughs> like just you had, don't. You yeah. had to think of it like you were at war and you had to have a different mentality. You had to give up any sense of, uh, yeah, I'm a neat guy. I take a lot of showers. Uh, I, I don't get that many colds. So yeah, <laughs> dirty, you know, God knows what's happened here. You walked in there and you just, you gave, you gave up. You just, I mean, in regards to you just, if you're going to worry about it, it's going to drive you nuts. Yes. Just do your job, do the best job you can possibly do. Um, get out of there during the day, come back as little as possible. And you honestly had to treat it like you were at war. Otherwise you would, it would drive you mad because the, some of the situations were really good and uh, many were horrible, you know? Yeah. Crazy, man. Well, yeah. uh, I did see on your bio that uh, you have a birthday coming up December 15th. Yes. It's exciting. You, uh, I, no, uh, it's not exciting. <laughs> so it's, it's sad. <laughs> do you, will you give your age or, or you, do you not want to? Oh, it's going to be a big one. So I prefer not to. Okay. Got it. All right. So, um, I am in my very late, uh, I'm 97 years old. So. <laughs> well, you've been doing this a long time. I mean, like I said, I mean, you started I've been on stage since I was, uh, 22. I've never, I haven't had another job. So I you were in that. bands, I assume before you got into the radio aspect, right? I was, more of no? a solo, I was more of a solo guy. I had a couple of bands and I didn't like that as much, uh, as, uh, I would do all original music uh, and then the last set I would uh, do like uh, Beatles or whatever would get the crowd rocking. I did not do American Pie. And then I would uh, uh, that that's what that's how I operated for a while. Um, I did all original music. I was sort of like the patron saint of original songs. And I had a record out called Circle City. And uh, that's Were you ever you ever signed with anyone like any um, any recording? Yeah, I studio? signed with I signed with Blood Records and gene Generic Records out of uh, Wilkesbury, and then Blood Records out of Philadelphia that had a kind of a, a distribution deal with Warner Brothers. And boy, they put a lot of money into stuff, and we did not uh, uh, we did not uh, we got radio airplay, but just like kind of an Eastern thing. Uh, East, well, East, those East, are East. two very uh, comical names. Like, like oh, no, blood, right. blood. I'm like, you just signed away your life, and uh, <laughs> and generic is just obviously, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, we're just gonna call this generic. Well, that was just kind of a joke. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand. I was starting to, to write stuff in the early '80s, and it was still new wavy, and uh, they everybody had kind of goofy indie kind of names. Yeah. So this guy Craig Bevan started a record company called Generic, and the one in L in Philadelphia was he was an actual. actual a lawyer, Ken Jacobson, who started Blood Records, and they uh, we we put a couple of things out, and uh, man, uh, we gave it our all. I went all around the country promoting it, uh, and this was serious, serious music. The problem was that I was kind of funny in between songs. Then I would do these really dark, you know, moody, you know, melodic <laughs> kind of things that didn't fit. This is the end. Do well, do you know that it's Todd Glass? <laughs> it, oh, darker than that. Todd Glass was the one. The, do you know comedian Todd yeah. Glass? Yeah, he, he used to go watch me perform at Smokey Joe's. And here's okay. what he actually said to me. I would do three sets of original music, but I'd be funny in between just because these are college because I had to get their attention. And uh, then that last set, I'd do an impression or two or just a, a Beatles songs, Billy Joel, whatever. And, and Todd came all the time to watch, to watch me perform. And what city was, was that? Was, it was Philadelphia. Okay. It was Wednesday nights at Smokey Joe's on 40th and Walnut in Philly. Todd Glass is just a Philly comic. And he would he befriended me. He was really nice, and he was all about comedy. He even would open up a couple times, and I thought he was great. He had great presence, and he was wacky. He still is to this day. Oh yeah. But he took me aside. And he goes, you know, your songs are really good, but you might be a comedian. You're so entertaining in between those songs you do, which I remember being really offended. And <laughs> you know, he's my buddy, but I went, Gee, what? No, no, no. You're. I meant this as a compliment. Just do one open mic. And Todd Glass um, took me down to the Comedy Works first, but the guy saw the guitar and actually said this. Eh, we have enough guitar, guys. Go across the street. And Todd was, this was Todd's club, so he felt bad. But he took me across the street uh, to the Comedy Factory outlet where I, I did my little shtick. I just strung a couple of impressions together. And I ended up getting that radio gig like that because uh, the owner took a tape to the morning guy and said, hey, listen to these voices. And I think I just did Prince, Tom Petty, Billy Joel, Springsteen, whatever was popular at the time, strung them in a row. Nothing funny about it. I, hey, it is this guy. Doesn't he sound a little nasal? I would do Tom Petty. And 
it killed though. You know how everybody can kind of kill in the beginning and then you right. learn. But I mean, I remember doing the voices and people enjoying it. It was an easy club though. And that's how it started for me. Todd was right. So you owe Todd, money. you owe Todd everything. Todd is totally responsible uh, uh, for all this. I swear to God. He he said, you know, you're really what, what year was this? It would have been 93? Uh, 89, 89. Oh, oh, wow, earlier. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 88 wow. or 89. So I got any, that radio gig uh, like instantly. Any of that material that uh, you started, like say your first couple of years of uh, you know learning to be a stand-up that that are still in the bag that you still they're tried and true that you still use. Uh, I could still, if you ask me, if if I were at a radio station, people will ask me, uh, "Hey, I saw you do a Prince back in 1990," <laughs> and all it was was Prince doing a Christmas song. You know, let's make it bad. Christmas tree. I had. I, I remember. Yeah. I mean, if someone, I would. That was from 1989. I, uh, I, I do remember all those though. I mean, because well, that's, that's well, it's they, like it's like a Brian Regan joke. You just know, like a cup of dirt. You know, big yellow one's a sun. You know, you just you. So those are with your songs. I remember that. Uh, to this day, like I'll hear a song, like say like the Barney song. And I, I still oh, right. know the, the Barney song that you have, and I'm like, oh my god, like yeah, yeah, that's my that's brain one. goes to it. Yeah, that's one that I was rather proud of because it was an original PP song, and <laughs> I really enjoyed that melody. I tried to take it, you know, and I tried to just to grow as I went along. And I think the Bono does Bingo I had from '89 because <laughs> that was an original melody of mine, but it was like Bono taking the the kids song and making it sound special, which. Has you know that kind of bit's been done you know by other Jim Brewer takes the kids song and makes it whatever uh, Metallica or Heavy whatever metal, yeah. yeah yeah and uh, but I still could probably do that if somebody asked me and don't get me wrong uh, they do in fact Tom <laughs> on the Bob and Tom show a Bono thing came up and he remembered that from the first time I did their show and I well, was like, he's I probably got it on jump into a go I don't even know how it goes he's probably got a cart you know do they still have those carts those digital oh carts? no no it's, things have changed uh, drastically to say the least you know my broadcast production years i remember that was my degree in college broadcast production so, well, so I look look, look i'm like using little, I'm, I'm using it right now i'm using this degree like little, they look like little a tracks <laughs> right and you just press the like you record the uh and they would, uh, the commercials would, on the carts and they yeah. were very faulty they would uh, they would always yeah they're like an eight track yeah exactly I yeah. remember my first radio gig, they would be thrown at each other because we had a very volatile uh, situation where I was. I remember things being thrown around all the time. Crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, that, I, uh, I started, I was a DJ in college. Um, that was kind of, we had to do that for a semester. That was part of our requirement. And uh, yeah, I was DJ CJ. Yeah, that was that was me. So uh, DJ yeah. what? DJ CJ. Oh. Yeah, you know. I like that. So, uh, but I just remember... Like nobody listened, and I just remember like I would ask like, "Hey, request and like, call in for request," and nobody would do it. And I'd finally just said, "All right, if nobody calls me, because I'm trying to stay awake, right? right. <laughs> I don't remember what time it was, or whatever. I actually had a day shift at least, but uh, still, you get bored, you know, sitting there and like nobody's calling you or whatever. And I remember saying like, "If somebody doesn't call me within the next thirty seconds, I'm gonna start playing shit that your parents listen to." And then the phones just lit up. I'm like, "Oh, all right, cool." <laughs> you may find you you might you might find this funny then. I uh. I, our drugstore where we can get anything, you know, if Jimmy says, hey, do we, what's an Almond Joy like? And okay, you know, I'll go, well, I can go down the street and get it for you right now. So this just happened two nights ago. Uh, Jimmy and I go to get popcorn that we're going to make back here. He'll, you know, I don't, I don't have this place stocked because I don't know what I'm doing, but I try my best. He get Dad, we can make some popcorn. I go, I don't have any of that. But it's right down here. So I go to the CVS here in the corner. Yeah. And he's on the iPad. And I go, you got to come in now. Because now just let me stay in the car. He's 10 now. So I go, yeah, but don't touch anything. Don't, okay. And I had the radio on. And uh, it's the radio station I work for. Okay. Which is, uh, our home station is Classic Rock. So (laughs) so I I go in and I'm like in line a little longer. And I'm, you know, making sure Jimmy's okay. I'm texting you. Everything okay? Yeah, don't get out of the car. And it's like a while, like in in line, just getting, you know, popcorn and some sodas. And uh, I get back in the car, and I guess I had the radio up a little too loud. And Jimmy goes, my gosh, don't ever leave me in the car with that crap music on for that long. And I said, "Uh, you mean the station 
that I work for. That pays for <laughs> these oh, almond so joys. <laughs> Your voice uh, just got weird. Is mine getting weird too? No, I can hear you. Uh, you're like, hey, this is the station that pays for this almond joy, buddy. <laughs> your voice, uh, if I can't respond, it's only because your voice is going Darth Vader on me. Okay, well, I can hear you perfectly. And oh, that's... that's I can hear you. Per I'm reading your lips now. I can hear you perfectly. Okay, hopefully that'll go away soon. <laughs> okay, it's still can not he... going away. I'm sorry. That's all right. You know that he's Pat Godwin's on his iPhone. When we asked him to um, to get in uh, on a laptop, he he uh, he bullied me and he said, "No, I'm not getting on a laptop. <laughs> I'm going to get I on a not say that. iPhone." <laughs> Actually, I can't, it's still doing that same thing, and I hope it goes away soon. Um, all right. Well, let's segue. So you're you're so being a uh, is I honestly can't hear the question at all. So I'm sorry. All right. Hope so, this went away. This happened to us before we started, and it went away. Yes, I'll just keep oh, talking God. until you can possibly hear me, because I can hear you fine. That's, that's does anybody anybody in the chat want to want to say uh, if they can hear me and or Pat. Hopefully, Chuck. let's see if it's. Uh, I'm sorry, Chuck. That's all right, man. It's getting uh, a tad bit better. I mean, but it's still all really digitized. I was gonna ask if you're uh, being a. If my penis is what? <laughs> no, I can read your lips. And not that's your not good penis. penis. <laughs> I was gonna ask about uh, your son. That your your son is obviously you know being a single dad like and being a comedian on the road is that tough? I, I'm only catching little bits and pieces, and I'm so I'm sorry. That probably everybody's really angry. How about this? Um, I'm going to remove you from the stream. You want to what? I'm going to remove you from the stream, and okay. then you re-add. All right, is that any better? No. Darn okay, it. how about you remove yourself and re-click on that link I sent to you? What do I remove? I just push the X. You just hit the end, your end or exit or whatever, and then come back in. So, all right, guys, uh, technical difficulties. So if you are uh, um, in the chat watching, thank you for being here on the check drop. Um, if you have any questions um, for Pat, please uh, throw them in the chat. I can um, throw them his way when he comes back on. Um, so in the meantime, um, also, um, I see some people in here. Um, Billy D. Washington, shout out to Billy. Um, love you. want to get Billy on the show. I think uh, you'd be a, a great person to, to chat about uh, what's going on in uh, this COVID comedy world. I know you uh, were big on the cruise ships and such, um, as well as um, clubs in the, uh, in the Texas area. So, so send me an email. I'd love to um, get you on the show. So um, while we're waiting for, uh, if you're just tuning in, we are waiting for uh, Pat to click back on um, with his technical difficulties here. So I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving and um, upcoming uh, holiday season. It's going to be a fun one, isn't it? Can't be around your family or anything. <laughs> Maybe that's actually good. Like some people I think might have had a better Thanksgiving knowing they uh, weren't with their family. Doing it. So hello, Pat. Pat, can you hear me now? It's the same. That's weird. Because everybody else can hear us. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. You made a comeback. Yeah. Oh. Roland Witt said he's making a sandwich. Who's making a sandwich? <laughs> you. Oh, no, no. <laughs> well, what I was going to ask was like uh, being a, like a single dad like on the road, like that's got to be pretty tough, right? It's the worst because um, it's like, like the best thing I've ever been a part of. And um, joy again. I'm actually going to tear up if we talk about it. I hate being away from him. Uh, I have him one week, and his mom has him one week, and we do the e-learning thing. So I'm a very hands-on dad. So when I, jeez, uh, when I was uh, going on the road uh, pre-COVID, it was brutal uh, being away from him. It was just the worst. Yeah, I can imagine, man. I mean, uh, that's, I mean, it's... you have kids. I mean, you do you do stuff on the road where you've got to go out there and supervise, and you know. Yeah, you know it's like it's terrible. I, I think um, I think last year I was gone like I think it was like twelve or fourteen weeks, at, like weekends, because I would do a lot of those NACA conferences and such. Oh yeah, uh, and then I was uh, really hitting the uh, comedy festival uh, um, pretty hard, uh, like Montreal. I did the Atlanta, I did the laughing uh, like uh, one in LA, and 
so yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's a grind. But my kids are a little older now, so my uh, my oldest is turning uh, nineteen and in, in a few weeks, and my youngest is sixteen. So so it gets easier, obviously, down the road when they're a little bit, you know. <laughs> little self-sufficient and i have the best support system with my wife i mean she's just just yeah. amazing so so yeah so i have that at least so, so I, know I, have, I have my time like cut in half and then yeah. comedy was taking the other part too so i mean right now is kind of a joy for me even during these really difficult times because i do see him a lot more now and i remember if it weren't for the ipad and facetiming and me having the iphone on the road and uh, man because you'd get to venice and you'd find a restaurant instead of it having good food you look for something with good wi-fi so i could look at my son who was you know right four at the time that that was my only goal to get off the ship and uh because because a lot of times the the, the, the wi-fi in the ship was terrible you couldn't do any kind of video stuff yeah what is so, uh is he uh do you let him listen to your comedy at all he comes on stage with me and does two a blues song and the background vocals which uh, i have a song called gangsta folk that has background vocals on the original recording that Jimmy does. And we've kind of, uh, it wasn't dirty in the first place, but we've right. sort of made it extraordinarily kid-friendly. The rest of my act is not. I do, uh, you know, uh, when Jimmy comes with me, I don't want the audience seeing me be so racy. So I kind of, I don't soften it up attitude-wise, but I, I'm aware of language more. But, you know, Jimmy, they, he sees all kind of stuff, and he has to know what not to say around people and i think you know it wasn't the way i was raised you know right well i mean yeah most kids aren't being raised in the back of a comedy club do you no. let them watch the show or do you put them in the green room with headphones on well no no he ha he watches shows because he has to know his cue because he doesn't know when he's going to come on i don't i just time it for the right moment i used to have him sing in the background like he was interrupting the show and that was a nice little gimmick then he would yeah. come up and just destroy you know he's worked in front of uh Geez, 2,500 people on a Bob and Tom show like just two years, two, two and a half years ago in Mansfield, Ohio. He came up and he was like fearless. I think we, we, gain, awesome. fear, we gain fears as we get older. I don't know. I mean, he, he that was my next question. Does he get stage fright or is he just all for it? And like, I ask him jump all out the there? time. He never, he never stutters on stage or shows any sign of fear. Uh, and I ask him on the way home sometimes, did that make you nervous at all? He goes, eh, the one time. He's like, he asked me to talk more all the time. And the one time we tried that, it went kind of weird. <laughs> wow. What is he, uh, is he uh, interested in going into the arts? I mean, what's... Uh, well, he, he's uh, into animation and videos and stuff like okay. that. He has no interest in picking up a guitar or a piano. He's incredibly funny. And I think that, uh, I think that animation and art, like uh, my brother James, uh, he takes after him. I can barely write my name. And my son is <laughs> just incredibly artistically talented and at it all day long. I mean, it's not, he's not just watching videos or playing games, which he does do, but he does animation and drawings and stuff like all day long. In fact, he gets in trouble because he's doodling during the e-learning, you know, and, and doing all other kinds of stuff. <laughs> what would you, uh, if he wanted to be a comedian uh, and go into that field, what would you say? Well, I, you know, you'd have to, you'd, ha you'd have to tell them how rough it is and you'd want better for them because it's, don't get me wrong. I'm incredibly proud uh, of doing what I do, but it's it's not something that I would. You just don't know what you're in for when you get out there, and then you're like, you've painted yourself into a corner, and it's really your only set of skills. So you go, well, I you I gotta see this through, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. I, I played high school football, and I never quit. We were we had a tough bunch of people I played with, and that that kind of has always stuck with me. To and I haven't really finished this. This is. I'm enjoying myself now more than I ever have because I, I get up and I'm creative. I, I don't get up and I'm traveling, which drives me nuts. I'm actually like really in a joyful position of having to, you know, really uh, to, to do a lot of material. Right. I mean, do you think uh, with 2020 and the COVID scenario that um, it's going to crush a lot of people's, uh, you know, I guess, halt them in their tracks as far as wanting to become a comedian? Like, I feel like we're going to be in like in a little uh, supply and demand issue here um, shortly. It, well, absolutely. Once, once you can, the, everything comes back. You're absolutely right, because I think the only way you don't get better on your own it, 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 on the couch. I right. don't care how... Well, you, you just mentioned that one gig you started back and like that comedy muscle hasn't been flexed. So like, and like you're weak, your comedy muscle was weak. So I've seen people that were just not very funny at all. And a year later, because they worked constantly 
there are always people in this business that have surprised me. There have been people that opened for me. And, uh, you know, I, I, you kind of go, and, and then you see them a year and a half or maybe two years later, and they've been on stage. And you go, oh, I, you, I love being surprised. It's that joy, and I will shout about that person to the rafters because yeah. that's what this is all about. I'll go, hey, you know, this guy was terrible. And then, boom, he's really good because he focused on it and he got on stage. I mean, it's really a stage time. Is well, stage. as a comedy agent, that's what I look for. That's what I, I, I pray that that happens. There's so many shit acts that I've seen. And you're like, just that. You just explained it perfectly. Like, oh, my gosh, I love that surprise where like, oh, you're doing it. You're doing it. And you're doing it right. So. It happens. And isn't it nice when it happens? Because I think we're also used to the person who's been doing the same thing. And then you're all okay, you know. And everybody's guilty of it because you have to, once you become a headliner, you have to kill. Right. So you're kind of like, you have these bullet points. But it's great to see somebody who was terrible just come back and knock your socks off. And you just are in the back of the room going, holy crap. Yeah, because in this business, first impressions are huge. So I love yeah. it when that second impression is like, it's not that same, like, oh, there's that same bit you've been doing for 17 years and living off of it. You know, that's. I, yeah. I remember going to LA and making a horrible impression the first time that I, I went out. I've been out there three times as an actor, singer, and a comedian. And I remember, you know, I, not being on, I shouldn't have been on stage at the time. I just, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you make a horrible first impression. <laughs> and right. I made all those mistakes. Yeah. Well, hey, man, we're uh, we're a little over an hour now, so uh, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. But I can't let you leave without telling uh, the famous Chuck Johnson hell gig that you did for me at a college back in, I, I have to assume, well, 95, a, 96, 97 range, somewhere around there. You were working me a lot, and we had a lot of stuff going on. And you, we're all used to the cafeteria shows and the really tough ones, and we knew all about those. But you, I was on my way to Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> okay, and, see, this is why I want you to tell it, because I don't remember all the, the, the notes oh, like that, because I just did a show with them uh, about a month ago. <laughs> well, it, it was, yeah, and that theater, if you were, if you guys were in that theater. Well, it was a virtual show, so okay, oh, okay. different so, now. This so. is in their theater, and you and I are like, yeah, this is great. Look at the money. Hey, look at this. this is, and I'm driving down there. This is a good gig. And it was like um, – it, you had me do three or four of these. It, okay. it, there were three or four in a row. And I remember driving down there. I remember uh, getting in the hotel. And, uh, you know, I'm supposed to show up a certain time. You had a, you remember how explicit our instructions were and the, the, the time of the sound check, all that kind of stuff. And I show up at the theater, you know, and I look at the poster on the theater. It's, ah, it's on the Friday. They had me promoted for the Friday night. <laughs> Not the Thursday night. I'm like, that that oh, it's just a mistake at that poster. And I look at my thing. No, no, it's Thursday. I go, whoa. But, you know, there's like nobody in the, and it's like getting close to showtime. And, you know, there was always a younger student activities person in charge of that budget and the book. Right. right. So it's typically oh, it's yeah. Allison. So I call Allison up. Hey, Allison, Pat Godwin here for the sound check. Excuse me. The show's tomorrow. <laughs> I said, well, it's right here on our contract that. And I'm here tonight. She goes, oh, I'll be right there. And she rushed. I'm standing outside. And she rushes to the theater. And she'd already checked all her info. And she shows up. And she's like, oh, you're right. I'm so, so sorry. We have a promoter for tomorrow. It's going to be huge. Can you stay an extra day? I said, no. We have, I have a, I showed her the other sheet. I, I got a, Virginia Tech tomorrow. I got, exactly. <laughs> I got a gig in Virginia Tech on the Friday. Oh. What are we gonna do? I said, I, I don't know. I guess the contract. I mean, you pay me, and I, 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 I go. I, mean, I don't know what to do here. And she goes, Oh, she read over the contract, and she goes, You gotta do. It says you have to do an hour. I said, Allison, to who? <laughs> and uh, and we and and we get in. Then we get into the 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 theater. Like I was going to where she had told me to be. The actual theater was open, and there was one student in there. And he, this person was studying. And I had gone to like the back door where I was told to go to do the sound check. And How many seats are in this theater? Oh, it, it's a big theater. And we were like a thousand Friday night. Like it was one of those, you know, uh, it had to be 1500 seat theater, college theater, you know, like a high Got school it. auditorium, but maybe, but a bit bigger. Got it. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, this one student is just down there all by like third row, just like furiously studying in this little private space. And Allison, uh, we go up and we're going to, negotiate i'm just i'm going well 
you know, you can't do a show. And Allison's reading it all over. Uh, it says you have. I said, Allison, I mean, you promoted the wrong night. I think you got to pay me. And I don't know if, uh, do you remember me making a phone call to you at that time? Or was uh, it? The, uh, I, I think I made a phone call to you, uh, Brian. And, and you said, well, the contract says, you know, to pay you. I mean, you can't do a show for no one. I get off the phone. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I made a, a call to you. And uh, Allison is maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe she's 22 for all. I don't know. She was very young. And she is all freaked out. Oh, no, she, no, she's, she's got to be 20 because here's what happened next. She goes, uh, um, well, if you do an hour and I give you the check. It's, I can't do anything else. I said, Allison, there's one person down there. Uh, just plug in and, and do what I get. And I said, are you going to come down and sit down? And maybe we have two people. She goes, no, I have a test tomorrow. I'm going to sit up in the booth and she's going to close the partition. And I went, okay. So we, we plugged in the guitar and I looked at my watch. I said, she didn't even introduce me. It was just that do an hour. And I walked on stage and then I just started to sing. And I honestly tried to work that one student. I do recall that. I thought, well, let's see if I could pull this off. As I started, the person looked up and just shook their head, got up, got their books and walked out. So I walked the guy within the first three minutes. You walked 100% of the crowd. 100% of the crowd in the first three minutes. It was one person. They, I remember them walking up, shaking their heads like I was just an idiot. And I did an hour. I remember singing the alphabet at one time. I this was, is to an empty room. Empty, empty room. And Allison is behind the closed glass. And she's studying also. She's not paying any attention to me at all. And I remember just going, this is going to be one long hour. And I finished right at the nose. And I remember unplugging. I, I just could not believe it. Walked up. She says, thank you for doing that. And then she handed me the check. And I remember walking back to the hotel. I had never experienced, I, I didn't even know how to feel. Because it wasn't my fault. I didn't soul, soul sucking. It was, uh, yeah, a, a show to nobody. Let the record show that I did everything right. <laughs> you did everything right. I showed up on time. The school was at fault, but the contract did say one hour. You remember in those days it was clean and it was one hour. Right. One person. And, and you know what? I when I started Summit Comedy, I created a Pat Goblin rule. It wasn't really a Pat Goblin rule, but in, in my mind, I changed every college show since then. I changed it to fifty minutes instead of sixty, just really? for that reason. Just because, like, you know what? Sixty minutes. You know. 50 minutes is a good, you know, amount of time. If the comedian wants to go longer and the people are involved, yes, but there's an escape plan. It was that it was and I felt like I could get away with that with the contracts. That's and funny. It, and it, and it has worked. It's worked ever since. There's uh, an hour in a bad situation and there were many of them. Right. That, that can really suck up a lot of material because you're rushing to get to the joke. Right. So it takes like your actual 45 to 50 ad and you're doing a lot of dancing. <laughs> yeah. So I switched. That was the Pat Gowan rule that I started and at 50 minutes and some schools cross that out and say, Hey, we need 60 and that, you know, it's okay. But it's Long also the, the same thing when we switch over to virtual shows, it's 30 minutes for those. So yeah. longest so, hour of my life. Yeah. Well, well, Pat, we'll leave it on that, man. Uh, I appreciate you coming on uh, the check drop today and, and telling some good, comedy stories and just catching up with you man it's been it's been too long it's been too long too. good luck to everybody out there yeah man so um if anybody uh, out there listening need us need as a comedian for anything summitcomedy.com go there you can book pat for anything you want to like when he wants to go back out on the road so <laughs> when that can happen again so well, i'm allowed pat, to right all right pat happy uh, holidays to you you already get your tree up man that's awesome and uh we'll uh we'll see you on the flip side man Bye to your family for me i will man take care all right everybody see you next week